What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to Speak Life. I am your host, Pablo Moreno, and I am very excited uh, to have the opportunity to interview and sit down with one of the really one of the leaders, leading author, best-selling author. Um, you know, just one of the most uh, prolific pastors of our time. And um, I'm really excited to sit down with uh, Pastor Maxim Asnaf. Thank you. And, and before we get started, I really just want to share this, this Bible verse, uh, John 16, 22, that goes, So also you have the sorrow now, but I will see you again. And, and our hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. You know, you're one of the author, you're the author of this book here, Courage in Crisis. And what that verse kind of means to me and what I've really kind of learned and, and when, when Jesus kind of speaks to me in that, in that verse to me is, you know, we have to go through trials and tribulations before we actually could see the light, right? That's, to me, that's really what that kind of means. Um, Obviously, you're one of the most spiritual, you know, you're a very powerful spiritual leader in Europe. Um, Pastor, welcome. Welcome to the platform. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes, absolutely. Now, talk to us. You know, we want to, we want to, we have the opportunity to have, you know, three different points that we want to talk about, right? Experiencing, experiencing and surpassing crisis at a young age, which we'll get into a little, a little bit into your story. Um, life as a senior pastor and as a life coach. And then understanding courage through the midst of crisis, yeah. right? So we could kind of start off a little bit. Talk yes. to us a little bit about your, I guess, the beginning of your journey as, as a 15-year-old Maxim. What was well, life yes, like? Yes, you know, it's, um, life was very interesting. And I think that many times we can understand the purpose only in hindsight. The closer we are to the problem or to what we're dealing with currently, it's the more difficult to see the meaning behind it. And it's very easy to, when you find yourself in crisis, it's very easy to feel discouraged, lost, um, to feel like nobody ever went through this. It's right. only me. But, you know, we learn in life that most of the incredibly successful people who impacted history went through a lot of pain. And pain is one of these things that really helps you in the long run to discover your power and your purpose. So for me growing up in, in the hood, literally alone at 15 years old, my mom had to run to another country mm. to hide from an abusive boyfriend who almost took her life, was an experience of really learning also to trust in God. Because honestly, courage comes from somewhere. Courage is a product of faith. And if a person loses faith in God or faith in themselves or faith in the good or even faith in other people, mm. uh, then it's going to be very difficult to be courageous. Courage is the ability to face your fears and to act in spite of your fears, in spite of uh, the opposition. So yeah. I remember one night coming back home and finding that in this uh, record called winter, that it was the pipe for the dirty, the dirty pipe of the house had yeah. exploded and the whole floor 
was covered with feces and stuff. Mm. So there am I at 15 and I had to literally shovel that thing out. But the time, you know, it was getting darker. I didn't have electricity. So I realized I'll never be able to get all of it out. I might as well put some snow and create a snow path to the bed where I was sleeping. Mm. And I created a snow path to the bed where I was going to sleep. Remember, laying down in that bed, covering myself with eight blankets and just the stink of it mm. was incredible. But at that moment, I was thinking about if I am really called to be the person that I believe I'm called to be, this is going to be an incredible story one day. So I think that finding courage in crisis also has to do with looking at your life through the lens of whatever moment you're in now, it is not all your life, it's part of your life. Mm. And your experience now is your story tomorrow. So when you share this story one day, like I'm sharing this story with you now, you have to ask yourself the question, what kind of hero am I in this play? What kind of hero am I in this movie called life? Mm. How did I act in the midst of this crisis? Because life is full of crisis. It doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur making millions of dollars that I coach this kind of people, or you're a politician, or maybe you're a celebrity, people know who you are. Everybody goes through crisis from the single yeah. mom to the man who just bought the newest Bentley yeah. is going through some sort of crisis. And so if this is all around us, if, if crisis is actually life, one big crisis all the time, then we might as well learn how to live it, how to act within it, and how to live in a way that is really honoring to our values, our faith, and our vision. So a time of crisis is a great time to also create a vision for your life and to look for the deeper things of life. Okay. To think that a large percentage of the Bible was written by a man named Saul of Tarsus, who we know as Paul the Apostle. Mm. And this one third of the New Testament that he wrote, a big part of it, was written from jail. Wow. It just gives you a perspective of what a crisis can do in your life. It's very tough for us in the Western world to understand that God's purpose and providence many times comes in the form of pain and problems. So anytime God wants to do something in your life, He will actually allow pain and problems. And for many Christians, especially in the West, mm. that sounds like a contradiction because we've been thought about uh, a one-sided gospel and we think that as soon as I believe in God, all things are just going to fall into place and my life is going to be perfect. But that's not true because sometimes God will have you go through stuff. He will have you go through pain. And only in hindsight you can understand that this pain had a purpose. So think about this. We have a man that God wanted him to be uh, the ruler of the world at his time by the name of Joseph. So he posed the question, how do I get Joseph from being in a tribe living somewhere in Canaan mm. to living in Egypt and on the right hand side of Pharaoh? So God created the whole plan. 
well, he's going to be betrayed by his brothers. Then he has to go to prison. Then from prison, he has to stay for three years in prison. And I'm going to call him in the third year to sit on the right hand of Pharaoh. But we think that, oh, no, it wasn't God. It was the brothers or it was Potiphar's wife yeah. or it was we are trying to interpret our life as coincidence, 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 coincidence. But I like to say that coincidence is when God decides to stay anonymous. So you're looking at it as a coincidence, but it's not because Joseph looked at his brothers in uh, the 45th chapter of uh, the book of Genesis. And he told his brothers, it was not you who sent me here but God. God sent me here to preserve life. So in hindsight, he could see his life as the purposes of God in pain. Hmm. You know, Paul the Apostle was in jail in uh, 16th chapter of uh, the book of Acts. The Bible says he was thrown in jail in Philippi. I've been to that jail cell like tens of times. I brought people to that place. It's close to where I live in Bulgaria. It's like three hour drive. Wow. So to think that Paul the Apostle wanted to go one way and then the Bible says the Spirit of Jesus did not let us go there. And then he saw a vision. He was on, in modern-day Turkey in Troas and he saw a vision of a Macedonian man telling him, come to us, calling him. Mm. He crossed from Asia to Europe and what happened? The first thing that happened, Pablo, was he was beaten and thrown in jail in Philippi. So God had him in jail. But we don't like to think that God will allow you to be beaten and thrown in jail. (laughs) Do you know that the most um, amazing part of that story is not that he was in jail or that he prayed and sang with Silas in the middle of the night and the jail was shaken, there was an earthquake, and the Bible says all the cells were open, but none of the prisoners ran None of this is uh, uh, what amazes me. What amazes me about this story is that when the jail guard decided to take his own life, Paul stopped him and said, we are all here. Most Bible scholars believe that this man, the guardian of the jail, was the first pastor of the Philippian church. So when you think about it, God had a man or two men, Paul and Silas, beaten, thrown in jail, didn't allow them to go and preach to another place because he wanted to call the man who was the governor of the jail to become the pastor of the Philippian church. So what I'm trying to communicate is that I learned through my life that it's all about Jesus. Your story, everything you do, everything that happened to you, Everything that happened to you actually happened for you because it's about your testimony. And if we think about the great stories of the Bible, any story that's worth sharing had a lot of trauma in it and a lot of pain. The moment moment you realize that your pain is your testimony, it becomes so much easier to process it and find meaning in it. Last week I was speaking at a, a large church here in California and I called a woman and I gave her a word. I said, everything you went through, you had to go through it because you're going to help women now who are just like you, who went through abuse. Well, after the service, the woman reached out to me. She said, I was kidnapped. She said, I'm a survivor of human trafficking. What you told me is so true. 
But then I wouldn't be the minister of the gospel that I am today if I didn't go through all of that. So what I'm communicating in the book is not just that God is using crisis many times in our life, but in a very practical and um, a contemporary, if I can use that word, way, how to actually create a game plan. It's like a guidebook. So you have to make a choice. This is how you make a choice. Right. You have to create a vision for your life. This is how you create a vision. Or maybe now you find yourself, I talk in the book, in a moment where you maybe reached a certain level of success, but you're losing the meaning. You're not, you're not finding meaning. And that happens to a lot of my secular clients that I work with, who became wealthy and achieved a lot of things, but feeling, they have the feeling that they're lacking meaning in their life. Right. So how do you find meaning? How do you find your purpose? How do you find the right partners? Right. How do you find the right... Um, how do you find the courage? Yeah, how do yeah. you find the courage? How do you find the, the courage? One of the questions that I know some of the people may be listening to this, they may be going through something in their life. They may be going through that crisis and they can't find the courage, mm -hmm. right? In your, in your journey, how was it that you found the faith? Mm -hmm. How, what, what, was that, what was that journey like for you in terms of like when, when you were going through the crisis, mm -hmm. right? What could we give maybe one or two nuggets to people that are going through that crisis right now mm -hmm. that want to come back mm -hmm. to the Lord, that want to come back to the faith, yeah. but they just can't? Well, anytime, you are, anytime we're talking about faith, we can talk about different kinds of faith because I believe there is faith in God. There is faith in yourself. There is also faith in good. Mm. And we have to believe in good uh, or the ultimate good. And there is also faith in others. There is faith mm. in people. If you just think about a, a faithless life, nobody has that. Right. Like I was sitting with a multimillionaire who um, I gifted a Bible. So when I gave him the Bible, because of he, his respect for me, he said, listen, I'm going to take it, but everybody would think I'm crazy. You know, I'm an, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. My family doesn't believe. We, we actually don't believe in anything, he says. He, he then looked at his daughter was there. He asked her and her, he, her, the fiance, do you believe? They said, no, we don't believe in anything. He says, listen, the whole region here, we are like atheists. We don't believe in anything. We mm. grew up in communism. It was like forbidden to believe. And I started laughing in his face. He was like, why are you laughing? I said, look around. We are sitting in a project that cost a hundred million dollars. A hundred million dollars. And I said, how did you decide to build this? Because he had a five-star hotel, wow. a bunch of houses, a golf course, then another training golf course at the foot of the mountain. Beautiful place. I said, how do you, how do you decide to do that? He says, well, you know, this is near where I grew up, so I would come here and I would imagine. I would say, wow, you would imagine. So I, see, I said, you would see this? He said, yes, I would see this. I said, where were you seeing it? He said, I would see it in my head. I would just see it in my imagination. imagination. And I told him, and you are sitting here and telling me that you don't have faith? You don't have faith? You went and took a loan, a $100 million loan, to build this thing. And you're telling me you don't have faith. We are sitting now in the clubhouse having lunch at your five-star hotel. And you're telling me that you don't have faith. 
Do you realize that you have a lot wow. of faith? Nobody has a faithless life. Even people who say there is no God, they still have to have faith. In something, there's a belief so somewhere. when you decide to fly somewhere, what do you do? First, you believe the website that told you they're selling you the tickets. You don't mm. have proof. You just went in, gave your card details, and then they send you just a text that, yes, this is your flight time, <laughs> right? Yeah. You're flying to, to L.A. Then you saw this, a boarding pass, and you thought it's true. You believed. Yeah. You actually went to the airport. Then a person sitting at a desk, you never met that person, took your bag and your belongings, and you believe that person, that he's going to take your bag to the yeah. airplane. Mm -hmm. Then you went to the airplane itself, and you actually believe that there is a pilot who went to pilot school. You didn't go and check his license. You sit in the plane and you're flying. And do you realize that all of this takes faith? Mm. So even us sitting here, we are believing in the chair we are sitting in. We are believing that the microphone is going to work. Yeah. We are believing that the cameras are running. We are doing everything by faith. So it's just that if we follow the natural logic of faith, we always come to faith in a supreme or transcendent mm. or ultimate good. So the faith in God is unavoidable in the world we live in today. If we exclude God from the equation, we're excluding good from the equation. The ultimate good. If we exclude the ultimate good, then there is no judge between good and evil. If we, there is no judge between good and evil, then we are going into lawlessness. If we are going into lawlessness and there is no moral law of good and evil, then we are going into anarchy. And if we're going into anarchy, then we're going into complete evil and complete darkness. Mm. So even the, the, the greatest agnostic or the greatest atheist wouldn't believe that. We all have faith. So I believe, though, that faith has to become a matter of the heart and not just a matter of the head for it to be effective. Because faith in God, faith in good, faith in people, or even faith in yourself can be just head knowledge. Maybe you read it somewhere and it's still good, but it's not a hard thing. In your heart, you are doubting. So faith could be emotional. Faith, faith is also physical. Mm. Like, is there a physical manifestation of faith? Of course. So a person who has faith, look at me. Look how, look how, how I'm standing. Yeah. I'm standing as a man of faith. Yeah. If I'm standing like this, I don't have faith. No. So faith, you can see it in my body, right? right? But faith, you can also hear it in my emotion. You can feel it. Right. Faith is an emotion. Many people don't get that. But faith is physical. Faith is soulish. Faith is emotional. But the real powerful faith is spiritual. It comes from your inner being. It's a conviction. Mm. And it's a gift of God. So the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that to all of us was given a measure of faith. So there is not one person watching this podcast that doesn't have faith. Because the Bible says to all of us was given a measure of faith. Now somebody says, how much is that faith? Enough. Because the Bible says that if you have this kind of spiritual faith, even if it's as small as a mustard seed, and a mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds, like I've seen a master seed, it's so, so small. If you had such small faith coming from your spirit,
you could move a mountain of obstacles and problems. So that is to say that all of us have faith and all of us have more than enough faith. Mm. It's just that faith is not enough itself. Faith needs action. And I think that that's so powerful. I, I know that those, that those words are so powerful and that's a way of life is a way of faith, mm. right? So on this podcast, which is obviously speak life, speaking with that faith and moving mm -hmm. with that power and moving with that conviction. I mm -hmm. think that that's so massive. Thank you for sharing those words. We really appreciate that. Kind of transitioning a little bit. You're also not only an author, mm -hmm. uh, a senior pastor of one of the fastest growing churches in Bulgaria, right? But you're also a life coach. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the lifestyle of a life coach and also balancing that with, you know, being a pastor, a senior pastor. Yeah. What is that lifestyle like? Well, you know, it's very interesting because when I was younger, I would think that it's impossible to be a minister and at the same time to be a business person. Or I could not um, bring together the idea of me wanting to be almost like a Mother Teresa or, you know, loving on the... Yeah poorest of the poor and helping these kind of people because that's where I come from and at the same time to be like a Nelson Mandela or uh, a Steve Jobs or, or an innovator or a leader, an entrepreneur, yeah. an entrepreneur. So it was almost like I had this contradiction and that's one of the reasons that for a long time I didn't want to be a pastor because I thought if I am a pastor then I could not serve people who don't have my faith or I mm -hmm. could not help people who are of a different opinion or whatever. Well, then what really helped me is I found a man who was the coach of some of Hollywood's greatest of all time and also a, a businessman, an entrepreneur, but a spiritual man, a very powerful uh, speaker, a very powerful spiritual leader and an evangelist. Yeah. So when I saw this man, something clicked in me at a very young age where I thought if he can do it, maybe I can do it. Maybe to be a pastor doesn't mean that I have to be overweight, uh, looking sad with a wife that is looking also very sad. You know, all, that's like the pastors that I saw. Right. So I was thinking if I am a pastor, I have to be overweight. I have to live in a beat up house, drive a beat up car and have a beat up wife. <laughs> you know, I'm honest. Yeah. So I didn't want that because I, I, that's not the how I imagined my life. So I always imagined being an amazing father. I always imagined having children, having an amazing family. Like from my list of values, I believe there are eight areas that are the most important areas of life. I call them success areas. One of them is family. For me, family has always been like uh, a great priority, even to this day. Mm -hmm. And it was tough for me to imagine that I would be a father and my kids, they would be struggling or I couldn't afford for them to have a normal lifestyle because that's where I come from, right. right? I wanted my kids to have a better life than me and I couldn't see how this would work. So at some point I realized that God didn't gift Joseph just to save his brothers. And Jesus didn't die only for the people that believe in him. Hmm. Jesus died for the world and Joseph was the savior of the age. Pharaoh called him Tsefnach Panech. It means the savior of the world. Mm. 
He was not called just to save the 12 brothers and his father and his family. He was called to save the devil worshippers in Egypt. Because mm. God still thought those were also his kids. That's a radical idea. Right. But it really helped me understand that if I'm a servant of God, then I will serve to all the children of God. And I'm a servant in the business world, but I'm also a servant in the spiritual world. And now I'm in a place where to me that's no contradiction. It's no contradiction that I do business deals. Right. It's no contradiction that I um, am wealthy or I'm uh, um, governing a large amount of resources. To me, that's part of my life and it's a responsibility. And it's also a blessing because with much more resources, we can help much more people. Yeah. You know, I always wanted to help people. But when I live without electricity and running water, I couldn't help many people because I couldn't help myself. Right. But now that, you know, I have a much better life, I can also serve much more people, give much more to charity and really push the mission of the gospel and the mission of Jesus. So, for example, many of my secular clients, all of them know I'm a pastor. And so I always tell them when we go deeper into coaching, I always tell them, listen, I can give you the principles or I can give you the person mm. and the principles. So what the self-help industry has done is that they took the principles of Jesus and the Bible, like seven habits of highly effective people. All of this is the Bible, yeah. is the principles of Jesus. But they just removed the name, the person, because a person creates contradiction. A person, maybe you like them or you don't, but a principle is a principle. Right. Makes sense, right? So maybe you, maybe you don't like me so much, but you might, if you read my principles, you might like my principles, although you don't like me because facts have no feelings, as they say. Right. So I always tell my coaching clients, I can give you the principles without the person, or I can give you both the person and the principles. It's up to you. And you know, that's as funny as it may sound. I have some that said, no, no, I don't want the person. I just want, let's go into the principles. Don't go into religion. Just help me fix my marriage or help me fix my finances or help me get my organizational culture to the next level. And then that's what I do because we're not going to take the message of the gospel and force people into believing it. But do you know how many people uh, through the years, because we create rapport, we create trust, they start seeing the results, they see my life, they see my family, they see my joy and the way I am uh, behind the scenes of life. And they say, wow, I really want what you have. And then I tell them, listen, it's not only the principles, it's the person of Jesus mm -hmm. who will really transform your life. That's and that's what I share also in my, in my book. It's not uh, a tool to kind of convert or evangelize people. Right. It's really a tool to guide you through your life and crisis. But I also share about my faith because mm -hmm. I wouldn't be the man I am today if, if it wasn't for God, yeah. if it wasn't for my relationship with him, and if it wasn't for really his power yeah. uh, and mercy on my life. I think, it, I think it's massive, you know, and guys, please pick up the, the book, Courage in Crisis. And, and what I would say is you're really a living embodiment of your core values, your, your core principles, your core beliefs. And when you're able to now coach clients or coach individuals or, or CEOs and entrepreneurs, 
you know, they could really see how you're living your life. You're a living embodiment. I mean, you're in great shape. You have the, the lifestyle, right? But beyond all that, you have the core principles. Yes. Right? Now, we talked about people as well, right? Let's talk about characters or people in the Bible, right? Is there somebody that you correlate with or somebody that stands out to you in terms of a character, a specific character in the Bible? Well, I would think that I really relate to every single character in the Bible because every character in the Bible is Jesus. And let me explain what I mean by that before people go <laughs> crazy on theology here in the right. comment section. Um, every character in the Bible is a type and shadow of Jesus. So if you think even of somebody who didn't finish that well, like a Samson. Samson was called to be a great deliverer. And then he had a woman, women's problem. We know that about him. But then he dies in a very tragic way. The Bible says in his death, he killed and won over more enemies than during his life. Mm. Well, if you just take that Bible verse out of the book of Judges, that's what Jesus did. In his death, he overcame many more enemies than during his 30 years of life. Or if you look at the life of one of my favorite uh, Bible characters, who is Joseph. Joseph is a complete type and shadow of Jesus. Number one, he's betrayed by his brothers. Mm -hmm. Jesus was betrayed by his brothers. Then he's thrown into a pit. Jesus was in the pit. Yeah. His blood, his, his clothes are soaked in blood. Jesus' clothes were soaked in blood. Then he sold in slavery into Egypt. Jesus went to hell. And then Peter says that Jesus spoke by the Spirit to the spirits in prison, in Tartarus, the Greek word. Mm. Our Bible hero, Joseph, was in prison. In the third year, Joseph rose from prison. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. When Joseph rose from the dead, he was on the right side of Pharaoh. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was on the right side of the Father. When Joseph rose from the dead, Pharaoh gave him a name that is above every other name. He called him the Savior of the age. Mm. When Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says he was given a name that is above every other name so that in his name every knee might bow and every tongue confess. And listen to that. After that, Pharaoh gave a gift to Joseph. He gave him a Gentile wife. And God gave a gift to Jesus. He gave him a Gentile church, his bride, his wife. The only part of Joseph's life that is yet to manifest is when he revealed himself to his brothers, to the Hebrew boys. Israel, to this day, don't believe in Jesus the Messiah. They still expect a savior. But the Bible says they will look at him whom they have pierced. And this would trigger the greatest end time revival. So every Bible character, let me go further. Everything in the Bible is about Jesus when you go really deep into it. So for me, Jesus, the God-man, he's the greatest. Yeah. We will never be like him, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. That's what we call 
sanctification. The more we want to be like Jesus, the more we are like Jesus. Yeah. We'll never be completely like him because he's the only that is like sinless, blameless, perfect Lamb of God. But the more we strive to be like him, the more we are sanctified in his image. And then the Bible says that one day when he comes, we'll be just like him. We'll be transformed in an image just as his. You know, you're sharing this story with me. You're sharing these words. <clears throat> and I could just imagine the crisis that mm -hmm. he went through. Yeah. The crisis that all of these characters go through. Mm -hmm. The courage that they have to have. Mm -hmm. Right. And I imagine myself being an entrepreneur as well. Sometimes we go through trials and tribulations. We go through crisis. Right. Talk a little bit transitioning into, again, back into kind of how you started in executive life coaching. Yeah. Right? Well, how, how, how does that Practically, correlate? like practically, uh, I have a small a social media agency. I have another business where we do uh, production for people, you know, studio production. We do also online events and a few different things that I'm involved with. I like to invest in real estate. Right. But with the coaching, it was very natural because I started preaching when I was 15 years old. Mm. So some of the leaders that I have today in my community of awakening, I have been coaching or mentoring them for over 15 years, if you can believe that. Yeah. So many of my leaders that are doing great things are all people whom I have coached for 15 years or more. And then I also had some people who are from the secular world who are just looking for help, whom I helped. And at some point I realized, Pablo, that it's only so much time that I have. And if I'm going to work with you for you to be much more successful in your business and you're going to make a bunch of money out of that, I might as well do it professionally and work so that your results are great, but also get back so that I get back what I've sown and get a harvest on my time. Mm. Because if I wanted to just do let's say, uh, only ministry, then I'm doing ministry for free 24-7. Right. But if I'm going to work with you and give you a large portion of my life for you to become a successful entrepreneur and you're making a bunch of money out of that, then we should be partners in that mm -hmm. business-wise. So that was a tra transition that I made for many reasons. One of the reasons is that you can only work with so many people. So when we talk about coaching, I don't coach like everyday people. Right. The people I coach are either executives or business owners or celebrities, entrepreneurs, singers, people who are already moving at a higher level of success or that's right. their vision for their life. And then of course, I coach so many people for free because this book or, or for $20, you know, yeah. because this book costs like, I think like 20 bucks. And for 20 bucks, you're getting basically coaching with me, yeah. which is like unheard of. And then we have all this content that we're doing, even this talk that we're doing. Right. Um, we are not looking to profit in any way from that, but we are doing it to serve people. Right. So I believe that we should make money, invest the money in, uh, in good, increase our resources. The more we have, the better. And also, use our resources to give back and reinvest into other people who are up and coming, like yourself, 
to continue the work of God because the work of God is a generational work. You know, many people talk uh, like negatively about resources or about finances, but I always tell them, if you ever see a church, somebody who loved God and had money built that church. Right. It wasn't built just yeah. by somebody praying. Yeah. People actually went, rolled their sleeves and built it. Right. And somebody paid the bill in the end. So I like to think that I'm not only building spiritually, but I'm also building materially, and I'm also building people in their emotions. Wow. I like it. Today I had a coaching call with a lady that I'm coaching. She's from Sweden. And we were on Zoom talking, and I asked her, so when you woke up this morning from 1 to 5, how are you feeling emotionally? She says, 2 and a half maybe. Mm. I said, how do you feel now after our coaching call? She says, five. Wow. So to me, I want to serve people, spirit, soul, body, and bank in every area of life. That's beautiful. Pastor, I'm sure we could sit here for hours. We can continue giving the value. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Uh, you know, I'm sure the people listening to this found tremendous, tremendous amount of value. How could they get in contact with you? Where could they find the book? Where could they find you? Well, the book is on Amazon. And so if you look for it, Courage in Crisis, The Ultimate Guide to Success, I would really appreciate a review on Amazon from people on that side of the pond because uh, obviously people in our country, most people are going to buy it directly from us, from our website. Yeah. But it's nice when we get comments on Amazon from people who are in America yeah. when we're selling the book in America. So Maxim Azanov is my name. Maxim, you can write it with K-S-M-A-K-S-I-M. And I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on YouTube. So any place, let's connect. Let's see what we can do together. Pastor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank Great you. Great to talk to you. Pleasure.